Since September 23rd, 20 people have come to Christ. Seven have been baptized just last week. It's amazing. We turn our attention to a time of prayer. Elders, if you'd like to come. And uh, we don't want to just talk about prayer at our church. We want to do prayer. We know that there are times in a congregation where people have needs and just would like to have some prayer together. And we did this, started this last week. I'd like to continue it. Doesn't mean that your life's in shambles if you walk up here or anything like that. But there are times where you just need maybe someone to put an arm around you and say, hey, let me pray for that as well. So as Barry gives us a little bit of a pad here, why don't you just make your way to the front this morning and, uh, and let us pray for you this morning, shall we? Let's go to prayer. If you'd like to pray in your seat, that's great too. But if you need some prayer, just pray. come right on up. We'd love to pray for you. morning. My heart goes out to those at the Sandy Cove Elementary School. I don't do this in in any way except that I want to honor the memory of these kids and these teachers. As you're sitting there, I wonder as I read these names, names you don't even know, but as these names pour over you, would you just remember those who are their families, the parents who today are just in shock and grief? Charlotte Bacon, 6. Daniel Barden, 7. Olivia Engel, 6. Josephine Gay, 7. Anna Marquez Green, 6. Dylan Hockley, 6. Madeline Sue, 6. Catherine Hubbard, 6. Chase Kowalski, 7. Jesse Lewis, 6. James Mattioli, 6. Grace McDonald, 7. Emily Parker, 6. Jack Pinto, 6. Noah Posner, 6. Carolyn Privati, 6. Jessica Rikos, 6. Avali Richmond, 6. Benjamin Wheeler, 6. Allison Wyatt, 6. For the teachers, Rachel Devino, 29. Don Hawksprung, 47. 
Anne-Marie Murphy, 52. Lauren Russo, 29. Mary Sherlock, 56. Victoria Soto, 27. Lord, there are times in our lives we, our understanding fails us. But I do know that these are real situations today. And for the parents that are just, their hearts are just broken, aching, desirous of answers. Oh God, would you be real to them? Would you put your arms of love around them and hold them, care for them today? And through all of this, somehow, Lord, would you be lifted up? There are those who would take advantage of this situation today and say, how could a God allow something like this? We know that you allow us your choices. We know that you allow us freedom. But the answer of the tongue is from you. So as we grieve today, as we mourn, as a nation is in shock again, May this be a time where our prayers can go forth to those who grieve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning we are going to be looking at a white Christmas. The song White Christmas has been around for years. Irving Berlin recorded it first in 1942. I think we have a little bit of a clip on the screen. Let's take a look. It's looking pretty dark right now. We don't have it? Like the ones I used to know Where the treetops glisten And children listen To hear sleigh bells in the snow Christmas card I write May your days be merry and bright And may all your Christmases be white White Christmas. Bing Crosby was the first, but there were others who recorded that song. Frank Sinatra, Kay Thompson, Joe Stafford, Eddie Howard, Perry Como, Ernest Tubbs, The Drifters, Elvis Presley, Mitch Miller, 
Andy Williams, Darlene Love, Smokey Robinson and the Miracles. Jimmy McGriff, Jim Reeves, Doris Day, The Supremes. Bob Marley, Dean Martin, Edie Gourmet, Barbara Streisand, Lana Contrell, The Partridge Family. Shuby Dua, Stiff Little Fingers, Boney M. Kenny Rogers and Dolly Parton, New Kids on the Block, Neil Diamond, Michael Bolton, Garth Brooks, Kenny G, Chicago, A1, Rockapella, Linda Ronsted, Mannheim Steamroller, Crash Test Dummies, Bette Midler, Michael Bubley, The Moody Blues, Leanne Rhymes, Dionne Warwick, Royce Campbell, Twisted Sister, Taylor Swift, Rascal Flats, Neil Sadaka, Al Giroux, Andrea Bocelli, Boy George, Lady Gaga, Rod Stewart, the Glee cast members, Blake Sheldon, just to name a few. Christmas Day was celebrated on December 25th since 336 A.D. It was the beginning of a winter solstice, a week of loose living and carnival. And finally the Christians felt safe from persecution on that day because their antagonizers were out partying. So they adopted it for their day of celebration. The White Christmas song brings tears, nostalgia, sentiment, all of which I think is okay, but the real issue, that it may bring a feeling of fantasy that's not true. That's really removed from the pestilence and the messiness of this world. I think there are things that just don't turn out for us in life. I was remembering when, when there's something good in our life and it just doesn't turn out quite that way. I don't mean bad things, but I mean really good things. Like your life or your, the city you lived in or even your favorite football, baseball, basketball team or whatever. And you ask yourself, where did it go wrong? I remember going back to Chicago and going back to the house that I lived in. It was different. When I was there, it was the perfect house. It was a great place to live. But it's no longer the same. I saw a picture on MSN this week of a Twinkie being laid to rest. No longer the same. It's gone. I took a look in the mirror these days and my body. There was a day. Yeah, there was a day when it was a lot better. Now my chest is near my stomach and a few other things have changed. But it's interesting to me that every one of us has things in which things have changed. And it exactly hasn't been a white Christmas for a lot of us. Career went south. Relationship didn't work out. Marriage is in tough shape. I mean, these were good things. These were great dreams. These were white Christmases that we hoped would come to pass. And even Christianity today seems like on a downward spin, if you read the newspapers, it seems like we're the only group that's being persecuted today. Everybody else gets a free pass. And we ask, where's God in this whole process? And there are parents today of the list we read. It's going to be pretty tough to think about a white Christmas for those kids and the parents of those kids and the teachers and their families that were left. Truly, Jesus came to solve the messiness and the chaos of this world. But His is not a fantasy. His coming was a reality. 
But it's important that we know the difference between a white Christmas in the world's view and a white Christmas in terms of God's view. God really does want world peace, but He wants it on His terms. It was the old poet John Donne who said, "'Twas much that man was made like God before, but that God should be made like man much more." In Hebrews chapter 10, it says the old system. Are we up on rolling on these slides, gang? Or somebody's gone from the booth? Okay. Have we got a video person back there or someone who can handle that? We're getting help here. Okay. If that's possible. I think the script is back there with the notes on it as well. All right, thank you. We'll do the best we can here. Hebrews 10 says the old system in the law of Moses was only a shadow of the things to come. It was a preliminary sketch. Not the reality of good things Christ has done for us. The sacrifices under the old system were repeated again and again. A constant reminder of our failure. Year after year, but they were never able to provide perfect cleansing for those who came to worship. If they could have provided perfect cleansing, their continuity speaks to their ineffectiveness at this point, they would have stopped. They would have, they would have completely come to a halt. For the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt, that is, the guilt was still remaining, would have disappeared. But just the opposite happened. The early sacrifices reminded them of their sins year after year, according to Hebrews 10, verse 3. Now, we take communion here once a month. And what really goes on there? What are we really celebrating in this communion spirit? Well, when you stop and think about it, we talk about really the theology of who Jesus was. There are people who believe that uh, he was a good man and he was a prophet. Well, he was, but much, much more. He was much more than that. He was absolutely 100% man, 100% God. Not 50% man, 50% God. 100% man, 100% God. I know that stretches your imagination. It stretches your whole idea of logic. But that's how, how Jesus came. And He had to come that way because in order to die for the world, in order to die for human sin, He had to be a man to die for a man's sin. But He had to be a God to appease the wrath of God. Anything less than that would, have been, would not have been there at all. And so here's the issue that we we are faced with. We have a picture of this in the Old Testament. We have the tabernacle and how it was set up. And the walls were around like this. And there was only one entrance into the tabernacle uh, courtyard. When you first came in, there was the the sacrifice table where the the blood of bulls and goats were sacrificed. Then you came next to the lavar, which was where we get our word lavatory from. There was the washing or the cleansing. And then there was the temple, which was divided into two parts called the Holy and the Holy of Holies. And the priest would come in, he would sacrifice, he would, come out of the, he would come out of the temple, he would go over to the labor, wash his hands, make sure he was clean before he touched anything, and then he would sacrifice the blood of the bulls and goats on that altar. He would then walk back into the Holy of Holies, and if he was the high priest, or the, the high priest, he would not only be in the holy place, he'd be in the Holy of Holies, where he would be doing business with God. And basically he would be representing and asking for the atonement of the whole nation. 
Now Israel watched at this, and the, the thousands and hundreds of thousands would be camped around the tabernacle waiting to see if the high priest came out of the Holy of Holies. Because if there was any sin in his life, if the, if the sacrifice was not acceptable, the, holy, or the, the high priest would be struck dead in the Holy of Holies. So when he emerged from the curtain, a big roar went up from Israel. Hallelujah, we've been, we've been, uh, we've been reprieved for another, another year. I always felt bad for the guy in the tribe that was the third from the left. He was standing in row 12, three from the left. And just as soon as the high priest emerged and he walked out and everybody went, whew, we're good for another year. This guy sins. How long does he have to wait for forgiveness? Another big 365. That must be a tough way to live. Now, I know there were the daily peace offerings, but for the sins of the nation, he had to wait for 365 days. You and I, when we celebrate communion, we're not, we're not forgiving our sins once a month. We're reminding ourselves that our sins are forgiven on a daily basis. And the forgiveness is of there. Now listen, this is very important. If you don't get anything else out of the sermon, get this one today. Your sins are forgiven whether you confess or not. The issue is you don't experience forgiveness if you don't confess. But your, your forgiveness is available. God has already forgiven you. He's forgiven your sins in the past, the ones you're going to do today in the present, and the ones tomorrow. Even the ones ten years from now, if you should live that long, are already forgiven. But you don't experience it unless you humble yourself through repentance and confess and agree with God that that was a wrong thing, a wrong action or a wrong attitude. I love the old southern preacher who used to say regarding sin, as I does them, I fess them. Really lousy English but really great theology. Keep short accounts with God. And I think about that constantly. Because you see the difference between the world's white Christmas and the wor- and the God's white Christmas is that in this mess and the chaos and in the sin and the, di- and the disappointment of the world comes a voice crying in the wilderness and says, there's a day coming when I make things right, where the lion lays down with the lamb and my, and my enemies will be made my footstool and there's only one guy standing at the end and you know his name is? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Amen. That's pretty good stuff. That's pretty good stuff. I love being a Christian because it's a man's, it's a man's, man's religion. <laughs> it really is. Sorry, ladies, I had to get that in. But what the heck, I'm in the interim, I can say what I want, right? The main point of the story is that this baby grew up. Right over here in this crash over here. That little baby Jesus is not the same. He grew up. He grew up to become the sternest challenge to a world of hard power that had ever been made. Jesus was no sentimentalist. He was a terrible realist. Everything opposed to love and unity in our world, he declared flatly, is doomed and damned. For the reason that at the center of the universe isn't you, it's God. Who has a loving purpose to include all people, but he was going to do it on his terms. So this is not a white Christmas filled with snowflakes and Christmas card things with little glitter falling down off of them. This is real stuff. 
There was a time fixed and foretold by the great God, and that time now has come when these legal sacrifices would no longer be accepted by Him or useful to men. Uh, It was committed and found in Jesus forever. God never did desire them for themselves. He never wanted the Levitical priesthood to continue all the time. It was done away with, and therefore to adhere to them now would be resisting God and rejecting Him. The time of the repeal of Levitical laws was foretold by David in Psalm chapter 40, verses 6 and 7. The great question for us is, are Christmas... Is still is it still only a story about a baby for you, or is it more? Is it a is it a is it a deathless story about a person into whom the baby grew, or who can redeem the world from its sin, and who calls us into partnership with his great and mighty purpose? So says Alfred Luckick in his book called A Sprig of Holly. For it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away, that is, to cut off and put a stop to this, it says in verse 4. But verse 5 says, that is why Christ, when He came into the world, ah, the night before, it was Christmas Eve in heaven, and He said, you did not want animal sacrifices and grain offerings, you have given me a body so that I might obey you. No, you were not pleased with animals burned on the altar, or with any other offerings for sin. He had to be both man and God. <laughs> I'm reminded of the little story of the little girl who came up to the crush and she looked at the baby Jesus and she said to Grandma, Grandma, I'm concerned about baby Jesus. He's still the same size he was last year. <laughs> well, he didn't. He grew up. And he became all things to all men. He grew to be majestic and to obey. In Hebrews 10, 7, Then I, that's Christ Jesus, said, Look, I have come as if, Use me, please, to do your will, O God. Just as it is written about me in the Scriptures, Christ said, You did not want animal sacrifices or grain offerings. Actually, there were actually four types of sacrifices. Or animals burned on the altar or any other offerings for sin. Nor were you pleased with them. I know they were required by Moses. But then he adds in a perfect tense, and he says, which indicates in the Greek, which can be helpful. In other words, it's spoken for all time. That's why it's in the perfect tense. Lord, I have come to do your will. Calvary was his greatest purpose. He cancels the first covenant in order to establish the second, which was his final and permanent plan. And from the errand and design upon which Christ came, and this was to do the will of God, not only as a prophet to reveal the will of God, not only as king to give forth the divine lords, or laws, but as a priest to satisfy the demands of justice and to fulfill all righteousness. Christ came to do the will of God by taking away the first priesthood, which God really never had any pleasure in. Taking away this covenant of works, canceling this sentence that denounces us as sinners, taking away this insufficient typical priesthood, blotting out the handwritten ceremonial ordinances, nailing it to the cross, and then establishing the second, his own priesthood, and the everlasting gospel, the most pure and perfect dispensation of the covenant of grace. Now that's a white Christmas. You see, you can have two white Christmases, I guess. One, according to the world, 
which will lead you to disillusionment and despair. Or you can have one that's centered in biblical roots that says, even though there are times in this world where I know I'm passing through, and it's filled with messiness and upsetting things from time to time, oh, there is an abundant life that He promised. He promised that, you bet He did. And said that He would see us through, and if He doesn't see us, if He doesn't calm the storm, He'll calm the storm inside us as we walk through the storm. But what is the fountain of all that Christ has done for His people? The sovereign will and grace of God, and how we come to partake of what Christ has done for us by accepting His free gift of salvation. Has that happened to you today? Have you truly begun your white Christmas in Him? Have you said to Him, Lord Jesus, I know that I cannot save myself. It is only through Your grace. I can't be sacrificing the blood of bulls and goats. I can't be living a good enough life that you'll ever be pleased in. But I can accept the free gift of salvation, which is mine. And knowing that in some marvelous and miraculous way, your spirit begins to change me from the inside. Ah, that's a white Christmas I want to get in touch with. And then finally in verse 10 he says, And what God wants is for us to be made holy by the sacrifice a willful deed of the body of Jesus Christ once for all times. Verse 11, under the old covenant, the priest stands before the altar day after day, offering sacrifices that can never take away sin. That's why I had to keep doing it every year. Because if they took it away once, why did they keep on sacrificing? Why? Because it wasn't sufficient enough. But Christ's death was. What do you mean by sufficient and efficient. I'll tell you. Let's suppose like right now, we had a couple, maybe we move this piano out of here and all the instruments, and we have like ten tables lined up here with sumptuous food. See, I have a world food view, so I can, I can picture this. And you've got turkey and ham and roast beef, and you've got all the great salads. There'll be no carrot sticks up here. And, 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 and you just have all this wonderful food, lots of gravy and mashed potatoes and everything. You, you get in the picture? This table up here, these ten tables stacked with food are sufficient to meet your entire appetite out here for all of you. But this table up here, even though it's sufficient, only becomes efficient if you get out of your seat, grab a plate, and come on up and have some. Jesus' death was sufficient for the world, but it only becomes efficient if you say, Jesus, come into my heart and save my life. His death is sufficient, but it only becomes efficient if you allow it to become, if it's made on a choice by yourself. But our high priest, it says, offered himself to God as one sacrifice for sins. Good for all time. Then he sat down at the place of the highest honor, at God's right hand. The sitting down meant he was finished. His work was done. From the perfect efficacy of the priesthood of Christ, by offering himself, he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. He's delivered and will perfectly deliver them from all guilt, power, punishment of sin, and will put them into the sure possession 
of perfect holiness and joy. No, the Levitical priesthood couldn't do that. And no other white Christmas can do that. It's only possible under what Christ has done for you. Dwight Moody was one of the great preachers that ever lived. His father died when he was only four. A month later after his father's death, Mrs. Moody gave birth to twins. Now she had nine mouths and no income to feed them. Creditors dogged her, claiming everything they could get their hands on from her. If, Moody didn't, if Mrs. Moody didn't have enough trouble, her eldest son, her eldest son ran away from home. But believing that he would return, Mrs. Moody placed a light for him in the window each night. <clears throat> Young Dwight was inspired by her faith and her prayers. He wrote, I can remember how eagerly she used to look for the tidings of that boy, how she used to send us to the post office to see if there might be a letter from him. Some nights when the wind was very high and the house would tremble at every gust, the voice of my mother was raised in prayer for that wandering boy. Well, her prayers were answered. Her prodigal son did eventually return. And Dwight remembered while my mother was sitting at the door, a stranger was seen coming toward the house. And when he came to the door, he stopped. My mom didn't recognize him. He stood there with folded arms, a great white beard flowing down his breast, tears trickling down his face. When mom saw the tears, she recognized, Oh, my son, please come in. But he stood there and said, No, mom. I will not come in until I hear from you that you have forgiven me. Is that your story? You've come all so close. And I know maybe some of you are sitting here today and you're thinking like, oh man, when's this preacher going to stop? But you've been here before. I know that. I know you've been exactly at the same place right here. And the hour of decision is today. There's an old song that says, Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. While in others thou art waiting, do not pass me by. Don't let this fade off into the sunset today, guys. If you've never made that claim of discovery, of knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, don't wait for another year. Make this truly the white Christmas you've been hoping for. Where in the end you win. There are four fear nots of Christmas. Hey, we're back. The fear not of salvation. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Fear not, there is salvation, guys. Second is the fear not of the humanly impossible. Fear not, Mary, the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and the power of the highest shall overshadow you. For with God nothing shall be impossible. A third fear not is that of unanswered prayer. Fear not, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. You know, the Greek can be helpful to us here. In other words, when you said... For your prayer is heard, it actually tacks on a hyphenated heiress participle which says your prayer was heard to do, which means that the granting of the prayer when Zacharias prayed it had been answered in the affirmative the day he prayed. The giving of the prayer was not till later. And that's why Zacharias was struck dumb is because he didn't believe that God had answered it. 
Mrs. Moody prayer, Mrs. Moody's prayer were answered. God's going to answer yours. I don't know how he's going to work in the lives of those parents of Sandy Cove. But I do know this, that even though tragedies like that happen, I will tell you this, God is a good God. Even though there's cancer in this world, God is a good God. Because this is not the final chapter, gang. We get to go home. That's why the scripture says that beautiful is the death of his godly ones and his children. And the final fear, not, is that of immediate obedience. Joseph, son of David, fear not to take Mary as your wife. And Joseph did, as the angel said. When did Joseph find out, though? He found out the night before. When Mary tried to tell him that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Did Joseph believe at that point? No, he didn't. In fact, when Mary told him about the pregnancy, Joseph's response was, Say what? (laughs) It wasn't the next night until God told him in a dream, What's the point of the passage? Nobody tells anybody about Jesus except God the Father. We're witnesses, you bet, but it is the Holy Spirit working through us, the Father God who witnesses with His Spirit that tells others about Jesus. In his book, Dare to Believe, Daniel Bauman illustrates the unique experience of knowing that something is ours, yet longing to enjoy it more fully. He explained that at Christmas time, he would do a lot of snooping around the tree. You know, he'd pick up packages, shake them, try to figure out what's in it. One year he discovered a package with his name on it that was so easy to identify. There was no way to disguise the golf clubs that were inside. Bauman then made this observation. When my mom wasn't around, I would go over and feel the package, shake it, and pretend that I was on the golf course. What's the point? I was already enjoying the pleasures of a future event, namely the unveiling. It had my name on it. I knew what it was, but only Christmas would reveal it in its fullness. That little crush over there is a reminder of what is already yours. So I say to you, shake it. Take it. Look at it. Enjoy it, because the day is coming where it will be fulfilled. It truly will be a white Christmas. The glories that await the Christian defy our comprehension. What we can grasp about them, however, fills us up with great anticipation, doesn't it? We look longingly to the day when we shall enjoy heaven and all its fullness. But while we're here on earth, we live in the reality that that is already ours. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas too. Not so much about the one down here. Although I live in the reality. But it's the sequel that's going to be great. Most movies that have a sequel aren't as good as the original. But I got to tell you, the sequel to our life is one that you don't want to miss. Pray with me, will you? Lord, should there be one here today who doesn't know you, but would say in the fullness of their life, Lord, today, I don't want to let this day go on any longer. I want to receive you as my Savior now. I wonder if you could repeat after me. Lord Jesus, come on into my life. You just do it silently. I'll do it out loud. I choose today to invite you into my life. Forgive my sin.
Make me into the person you want me to be. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for making the promise of hope and joy and peace more than just something that's on a Christmas card. Thank you for making it reality. Thank you that you want it on your terms. And I submit to your terms today. Lord, you hear these prayers. I don't know who they are, but whenever they're said or whenever they're prayed, you know. And today, maybe somebody's life here was changed. And eternity is different for somebody here today. For all of us, we truly want to experience the abundant life while we're here on earth. But that abundance is in you and what you've done. It's not the amount of money we make or the house we live in. Those are wonderful creaturely comforts that you give us. But the reality of our joy and our hope and our faith are centered in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And someday the lion will lay down as the lamb. And the child will play at the adder's nest. And you will reign. In that hope we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We just have a, a little rule here around Dillon Community Church is that if you prayed that prayer for the first time, just come on up to one of us, the elders, you saw them up here during the prayer time, or myself, and just say, where do I go from here? We'll know exactly what you mean. And we'll get you some literature and get you on your way. If you don't get a chance to see us, look at our website. It has a little little thing on the, on the website that says, uh, where do I go from here? And it, it tells you where you can go in terms of uh, the next step in your spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. Well, there are many people in our county who are down and destitute. The third Sunday of every month, we have a benevolence offering. And not only do we satisfy some human need with bills being paid, food being given, etc., etc., but doors are being opened for people that they see the love of Christ coming through this, and many times it makes them open to the gospel of what we just preached about here this morning. So as God leads you, ushers, come on forward, and we'll receive this benevolence offering. Every dime that you give in this offering goes directly to the needs of Summit County. Be generous in your gifts this morning.